We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? It's a happy holidays for Nets fans, Nicholas. Yes, early gift here. Nets take the W tonight. Bounce back with a win. 111-103 over the Phoenix Suns. You know, a lot of positives across the board. They took care of business. You know, the Suns played a triple OT last night. But, Jack, as always, just a reminder, you can check out the Buzz on iTunes, Black Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But initial takeaways from this one, what did the Nets do right in this game? They did a lot of things right, Nick. I think that there were times where you could sort of see that their defensive activity wasn't where it needed to be, but they were just had that little bit more energy. They were the more rested team. They had the depth, and they had a, a lot of good performances, really good team performance. I think six guys with over 10 points each. Um, there weren't many sort of uh, stragglers, so to speak, a lot of really... Uh, highlight performances as well. You know, Ed Davis, one of his best games as a net as well. I know you were happy about that one, but uh, a lot of good things all around. Not much bad to sort of talk about. Yeah, I think the only bad thing you could probably mention, the defense wasn't very consistent energy-wise. They probably could have done a better job forcing turnovers, but overall, offensively, pretty solid. And whenever the Phoenix got it close, they went on one of the runs, you know, 8-0 run, 13-0 run, a lot of good things of a team, uh, you know, a good team reacting to a bad team. Yeah, exactly. Being able to just give themselves that little bit of cushioning, whether it's, you know, Rodion's Kurutz or Spencer Dimity or D'Angelo Russell making plays or Ed Davis getting offensive rebounds. You know, they just did, they were just the better team and they just proved that. I think the eight-point margin, uh, some junk time buckets for, for guys like Aiton and Booker sort of flattered them a little bit, but the, it was almost never in doubt. You know, they led pretty much all night from the first quarter onwards and able to outscore them in basically every single quarter except for the final quarter. Yeah, exactly. It's just they took care of business and they were able to kind of handle the situation. Jack, who had the best game tonight? Was it Spencer? Was it Rodion's? Oh, this is hard to say, Nick. Um, I've got a poll up on, on my page for for those that are listening at the JMN JBT if you guys want to vote for who I should do a player for. So far, Rodion's with, the, with a few votes has, 
is getting it so far. His first career double-double. So, I mean, that's got to be something. But D'Angelo Russell also looked pretty composed. But I thought Spencer Dinwiddie as well. I think we almost take him... I think the NBA world in general... Yeah, the NBA world as well takes him for granted. Goes way too far under the radar with just how consistent he is. You know, I think he's at 27 or 28 games with 10 points or more off the bench. You know, another 20-point performance. He's, you know, he's just a master around the rim, a master driver. Um, he's been killing it this season. So I'll probably go with Spencer because uh, I think that he made a lot of plays. But I think Rodion's as well would not be far off. Yeah, I'm going to go with Spencer as well. I think we do take him for granted. And just the fact he's able to come in, close the game out, calm things down. And anytime he gets a big switch on him, you almost feel like he's guaranteed to get to the line or get a layup in there. And he just did that all night. Nine free throw attempts again. Just a really nice performance. And then throwing the seven assists. Definitely looks like he's probably at least in the top three for six man of the year, like you predicted early on. Yeah, I mean, he has to be. I mean, the only thing I would say is that like a lot of Nets, uh, fans and a lot of Nets players, they're not getting really the attention they deserve. The sort of main coverage we got was over that uh, winning streak. Um, and even then, it was just like a segment or two on like the jump, a few retweets here and there. But I think Spencer deserves to be hit. For me, he's winning it, but obviously there's an element of bias with us too, Nick. But I think guys like Demontis Sabonis, who we saw the other night, was, has been absolutely outstanding. Montrez Harrell, I think, would have to be probably my other one. And Derek Rose would probably be on the fringes as well. But um, Spencer did when he's been absolutely outstanding. And if he's not getting any love, then um, I think we riot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think also, depending on if they take this into consideration, you know, didn't want to close out games for the Nets. Not all those guys necessarily do that. And he's a guy that, you know, sometimes he's leading the floor, he's leading the charge. And he's just been so efficient this year. And that was something that he couldn't do last season. The seam improvement in that area has been big. Yeah, I think him and Montrez, you sort of talked about closing ends. I think those are the two guys that are the most impactful on their teams. And I, I think a, a while ago when I was holding down the OTG Basketball, sort of kind of at OTG Basketball, um, I, I pointed out that I think Montrez Harrell might be the most important uh, Los Angeles Clipper right now with how impactful he is in terms of his rebounding, in terms of his energy and just making winning plays on both ends of the floor. So I think Montrez deserves a lot of credit. I think you might uh, be edging out Spencer just due to the fact that the Clippers have been you know, exceeding expectations and are still in that playoff race, still doing quite well. But I think Spencer would be a close second. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on the rest of the season. Obviously, still early on. But let's talk a little bit about Rodion's. Like you said, first career double-double, big game again. Had a lot of big buckets and good energy, and he also defended Devin Booker a lot this game. Man, he led the team in minutes again. Um, it, it, I mean, I think the last game we were talking about, he was tied or second. But he had 33 minutes, uh, one of two players with um, DeAndre Russell to exceed 30 minutes on the evening. It, the slams, the cutting... I put out for Nets Republic that like um, Rodion's court's cuts need to be framed and put in the moment. They're just so <laughs> goddamn pretty. Uh, I could watch them all day. I could just literally watch them on repeat. He like, sneaks to the rim sometimes too. He just like low-key just gets there without his defender even noticing he moved. Yeah, he either does that or he's just so quick that his defender just misses him. And I think he's getting uh, a lot of easy looks because he's not getting uh, the scouting report on him at just yet. I think that's going to come soon enough and he's going to have to be able to make some adjustments. But for now, he's just making plays left, right, and center. He's penetrating. He's hitting the three ball. He's making some blocks. And like you mentioned, Nick, he's defending. And I put out, again, for Nets Republic, do you think he's the Nets' number one defensive stopper now with Levert out, or is that still Ronde's mantle? 
I think it's probably still Rondé, but Rodion's has the opportunity to jump him. We have to see probably a bigger sample size. We've only seen him kind of have to defend good players the last couple of games. So after a few weeks, probably ask me that again. But also on Rodion's front, I was improved. He had a couple of nice passes in this game, specifically a drop-off pass to Ed Davis. Yeah, I think we had a lot of those really nice drop-off passes. I think it has to be a real part of our like sort of offensive schemes because Jared Dudley was doing it a couple of times as well. And he's done it a couple of times the last few games. I think that that is something that we must be practicing or must be an emphasis from the coaching stuff. I, we talked about it on a, on a previous buzz in saying that they can be dangerous sort of passes because they can lead to live ball turnovers and transition defense gets that little bit trickier. But when you're making them as efficiently as the Nets are right now, including Rodions and Dudley, then you just keep doing it. And I think you have to trust you know, your instincts and your transition defense because they keep the defense on the back foot and you know being able to... Uh, create space around that paint area just makes it easy for everyone on the floor. Yeah, and I think when the Nets place the floor well, you know, when they have a lot of shooters out there and it kind of opens up the paint, sometimes it's just one defender trying to guard two guys. And we see that a lot with Joe Harris driving, Rodion's. You mentioned Jared Dudley, who I don't know how, he's just found a way to get to the rim a lot lately. Uh, it, it's uh, I feel like teams are underestimating the fact that he's still got a step about him. You know, he's not, he, he ha- he's not in like the... He's not un, he's not guardable by just you know being able to stay in front of him. You're gonna to need to move your feet. You need to have some lateral quickness of some sort because any guy that's moving, and I think that that's been you know emblematic of the team, just the ball and player movement and just attacking uh, relentlessly. And I think Jared Dudley has set the standard there as one of the leaders of this team with his uh, veteran status. But he's been absolutely awesome the past few games, and that three ball I think has opened up the lane for him uh, as well. You know whether he's attacking first and then um you know being able to hit the three balls or the three ball opens up the lane for him i think both are sort of uh working uh synergetically i think if that's even a word but i think yeah he's doing really really well yeah and i think you know the dribble handoff fakes and things along those lines he's just playing like a very fundamentally sound game using all the fakes on the floor Talking to Ed Davis, who we mentioned early on, 15 points, 7 of 8 from the field, 9 rebounds. Definitely had his presence felt in that game. The only negative would probably be 1 of 7 from the free throw line. Thoughts on Ed's game? I mean, this is probably Ed Davis. I mean, it's hard to say because all, there are so many incredibly good games from Ed Davis. It's hard to pick out what the outstanding ones are because all of them are like borderline on that. You know what you're going to get. But I think this one sticks out because uh, I think the uh, he was just finishing... Uh, a, a heap of plays, you know, he, his hands were just ready down low and, you know, he was quite good defensively. He's obviously probably one of the Nets' best defenders, but uh, I think it was in terms of scoring, he was just on the right end of, of, a, of a lot of feeds from guys like Rodions and Dudley and, and Joe Harris. He was just in the right place at the right time and his hands were active and he was just, of course, he's going to finish those because he has, you know, this innate strength about him that I think, you know, we know how good he is and we know how strong he is, but uh, I think uh, DeAndre Ayton and Rashawn Holmes didn't necessarily uh, have that uh, knowledge. Yeah, do your homework, young guys. But you mentioned it, you know, Ed Davis is super strong. A lot of those finishes on the rolls, we haven't necessarily seen a ton this season. It's been mostly putbacks, but he's a little bit more active tonight. And like you said also, he did a great job of finding that open space. Moving over to D'Angelo Russell, who, what did you think of his game? Was it good? Was it bad? Was it in between? I think this was a good-ish game from D'Angelo Russell. You can't fault 18 points and 8 assists. I think that was nigh on pretty close to what we sort of wanted from him in our season previews. But as well, uh, there's just a there's just t- a lot of negatives to D'Angelo's overall skill set for me that is, is somewhat worrying. And I think uh, a lot of 
he doesn't necessarily alleviate those fears with, you know, his strengths because his strengths can sort of be balanced out by his weaknesses because he sort of uh, over dribbles a lot, but because he wants to try and find the open man, he doesn't make quick decisions a lot of the time. He is slow, and I think his finishing around the rim, unless he is open, is quite poor. So I think, you know, he's a, a mid-range master. His pull-up three, I think, has been really, really good this year. And his passing is nigh on elite. I don't think that those elite skills are enough to balance out what are some pretty poor deficiencies. And, and I'm not sure how much he can bridge the gap with those. So that's just the a, a general worries for me about DeAndre Russell. But he still had a very good game. And I think, you know, we have to play out the year and see how it all goes for him and the next going forward. Yeah, I think the biggest concern, like you mentioned, Jack, is probably the athleticism and the layups. You know, we wanted him to improve that layup package. There was a couple opportunities tonight where they weren't necessarily easy layups, but, you know, a very good NBA player would make those shots. We've seen Dinwiddie improve his layup package, had a big impact on his game. And D'Angelo is kind of going to get put in those situations a lot until he can capitalize. And I think he's at his best sometimes when he makes that quick decision. He's either going to drive, get the pick, roll, you know, hit the rim, or pass it to his teammate. And he's just like, he's all over the place. Seven turnovers is definitely a negative that stuck out. The one thing I will say, we saw a couple hustle plays. He got into the first row once or twice, and I thought that was very good and kind of set the tone a little bit. Yeah, he's making up for a lot of those deficiencies, Nick, with just general energy that we probably a lot of other guys don't give him a credit for. Like the guys on uh, the Duncan at uh, the Dunked On podcast, they're just ridiculously low on him. When, and I always sort of go by the fact that, you know, he's horrible defensively. Yeah, he is horrible defensively, but you need to acknowledge the improvements that he's made. I think that that's what a lot of general NBA dudes uh, will always do. And that's why uh, I think when you listen to us at the buzz, we will acknowledge the deficiencies a lot of our players and coaches make, but we will balance it out with the fact that we know what they're doing well because we watch them on a nightly, quarterly basis. So I think D'Angelo is going to have a very interesting season. He's obviously probably one of the number one storylines with free agency in the playoffs. But, um, I mean, the contract thing is going to be one thing that plays out uh, and that obviously correlates to everything going forward for the Nets. But uh, it's still not a horrible game from D'Angelo, um, but not his best either. Yeah, it was good and there was bad. You know, it wasn't enough to make the Nets lose. It wasn't enough that could have gotten them the win. You know, so luckily they had Dinwiddie tonight come off the bench and kind of keep things rolling. He did play 30 minutes, though, so obviously uh, Kenny liked what he saw. Anybody else have a good game for you, or do you want to talk about who had a rough game? Um, I think Joe Harris as well just continues to do everything well. And I, I put out before the game that he has the uh, third best effective field goal percentage of all guards in the league behind Will Barton, who's only played two games, and Stephen Curry, who is Stephen Curry. Um, <laughs> so that's, uh, I mean, that's a pretty amazing stat when you look at the fact that, and it, I think it, it reflects who he is as a player. He knows how to get to the line, which is a, a very efficient shot. And he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league right now. And probably, you know, he's elite in those two areas. And when you're elite in two of the most efficient shots that you can take in, in, in basketball, then you're going to be, you know, reflective with the stats and such. So uh, I always love what Joe Harris does, and he's always making the right decisions and the right plays. Um, so for him, he was awesome. And, yeah, I think he was another guy that deserved credit. But, yeah, six guys with 10 points or more. It was just a really good team performance. Yeah, I thought Joe actually had a really nice impact in the first quarter where the team didn't necessarily come out with a lot of energy. He came out off-ball movement was great. He kind of drew some gravity to him at that three-point line, knocking down his first two shots. So another solid game from Joe, kind of what we've come to expect from him. Him and Ed yeah. Davis have probably been the most consistent Nets all year long. 
Yeah, I wouldn't dispute that at all. Uh, I think Spencer Dimity probably uh, would probably be up there as well with the fact that, you know, he's scored 10 points or more nearly 30 times. So I think, you know, if you want to argue about his scoring, uh, I think he's probably the most, most consistent scorer. But uh, a mini shout-out as well to uh, Jared Allen in only 24 minutes. Was uh, so close to that double-double. Uh, had three offensive rebounds, six rebounds for nine in total. Had a steal in there, a couple of assists and 11 points. Um, he, It seems to me he's finishing alley-oops a, a lot more forcefully. I'm seeing this tad more aggression from him that I'm really liking. And he was good tonight, despite, despite the fact that probably DeAndre Ayton had his measure. He was still impacting the game uh, in very good ways. Yeah, no, I thought Jared Allen did a solid job rolling to the rim, like you said. And he's been thrown down with a little bit more uh, power lately. I thought defensively, he wasn't as fully engaged. You didn't see him around the rim enough, you know, protecting the rim, getting some block shots. You know, that was some of Aiton pulling him away. Ed Davis actually played more minutes than him tonight. Yeah, and we've sort of advocated for that at times as well, Nick. So uh, I think to be a, it, it's a luxury to have two above-average centers on, on your roster and being able to go, look, uh, let's put Ed Davis out there for a little bit. Let's put Jared Allen out there for a little bit. What's working best? And I think because they have they balance and complement each other, like we've mentioned, at length. Uh, I think that Coach Kenny is able to, you know, make those reads and make the adjustments, and he's done that very well. Yeah, for sure. And I would say probably over the last, you know, eight or nine games or so, we've seen the minutes closer than we probably did for the first chunk of the season before that, you know, seven-game winning streak. So definitely Kenny adjusting on the fly a little bit more. I know people are advocating for that. What did you think about Ronda? you think he was still banged up from that fall against the Pacers, you know, landing on his arm? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't necessarily horrible uh, as well, Rondo, but I think, you know, the Nets like to keep things under wraps a little bit. 17 minutes only for him. He was still a positive in plus minus. You know, he still had five rebounds, three offensive rebounds, a couple of blocks as well, led the team with that with two blocks and six points. Um, There was probably, you know, a couple of times where he was a bit erratic, but that's just Rondo, you take the good with the bad. So I I don't think he was necessarily bad, but I think, yeah, I think it might be the fact that he might be uh, hiding a little bit of an injury somewhat. And to the fact that we had, you know, guys ably stepping up and Rodion Skouritz and, you know, Damari Carroll playing nearly 30 minutes, all these sort of things. It just speaks volumes to the depth that we do have. Yeah, exactly. You're able to kind of handle that, and we're still missing guys. Trevion Graham, Karis LeVert, Alan Crabb. Jack, any other players you'd like to touch on tonight or any aspects of the Phoenix Nets game? Uh, I think it was just a, a very solid team performance, like we mentioned, and I think it holds us in good stead and gives us confidence because – you sort of look to past Nets uh, performances and where they were expected to sort of get the win, whether it be against a team like the Knicks or some other lowly team, you would be worried a little bit. But this team is starting to alleviate some of those, you know, fears, for lack of a better term, which is good, solid uh, play uh, on both ends of the floor. Not necessarily the defensive end, but just good play all around. Yeah, they took care of business, and that's something, like you said, in the past that hasn't necessarily happened. You know, obviously there was a couple losses uh, with their contenders for that 6th, 7th, and 8th seed. So the Nets are still one game back in Detroit, a game and a half behind uh, Miami, and a game and a half behind Charlotte. Orlando actually fell underneath them a half a game after a loss tonight. Yeah, the Hawks as well did a, did us a nice little favor, knocking off the Pistons in, a, in an upset win, which was good. Pistons 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Works well for us, Nick. Works well for us. We're 8-1 we're in our last night, so works yeah. well. Yeah, so it's definitely, uh, you know, obviously going to be a big stretch moving forward. And obviously when we talked to Brian Fonseca, we talked about how this stretch in December was going to kind of determine the season. How are you feeling as we're coming kind of towards the end of that stretch? Oh, you have to be nothing but happy, Nick. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a couple of days off before the Boxing Day 
Um, for those who don't know what Boxing Day is, it's like our version of Black Friday uh, for, for the Boxing Day game uh, against Charlotte. So I think that there's a, a lot of positive things going forward. And if you talk about where we are at this point of the season, I think in terms of expectations, we're at or above. I mean, for the, the optimistic Nets fans, they probably would have wanted us to be going a little bit better. But in terms of there have been some downs, there have been some ups, but I think overall, with where we are and where we are going forward, I think we're in a good spot because like we've sort of talked about in, in previews uh, in general, it's going to be a tough, you know, end of season stretch where we've got some, you know, really good teams. So to put ourselves in good stead one game at a time, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, uh, nothing but positive going forward for the Nets. Yeah, especially when you consider the Karis LeVert injury with the way he was playing for this team, for them to still be in the situation and getting him some back, back at some point in the season, you know, is going to be very good for the team. Exactly, exactly. But Jack, I'm going to pass it to you. Any topics you got for us? Yeah, so, I mean, I had to do delve into a little bit of research, Nick, because Rodon's courts have just been so ridiculous that I had to research the other uh, sort of best players who were selected with pick number 40. And I put it out for Nets Republic as well, but for those that might have missed it, uh, there were four guys, Will Barton, Lance Stevenson, Josh Richardson, and Monte Ellis, who are other notable number 40 picks in the draft. Now that's a those are, that's a pretty good class, and all those guys are you know going to be you know Josh Richardson obviously is improving and improving. Monte Ellis had a, a pretty decent career from where he was, and Will Barton obviously on the injury list, but he's you know a, a very capable player with Denver. And Lance Stevenson has had a pretty decent career despite the fact that he's moved around a little bit. So uh, where do you think Rodion's ranks are? I mean, it's hard to sort of rank uh, at, at such a short stage of his career, but. He's certainly in the mix for being one of the better guys uh, taken with the number 40 pick. Yeah, I think off the bat, he should be able to be better than Lance Stevenson because Stevenson has just been so inconsistent. He had that one really good season with the Pacers, but since then, he's kind of been all over the place. You know, uh, Josh Richardson's tough because he's still ascending right now. He looks like he has potential to be an all-star, so it's still a tough, you know, to gauge that. Will Barton, you know, he's been up for six-man-of-the-year type of player. I don't think he's an above-average starter. He's probably best coming off the bench, probably starting on some teams, so I think Rodion's could probably compete with him. And Monte Ellis had some really good years of his career, so I think that'd be another all all-star type level. So I think Rodion's could be as good as these guys, but as of right now, there's still a lot to be determined other than yeah, Lance uh, Stevenson, who I think will be better then. Yes. So I think that you make very valid points. Then I think Will Barton, you know, he could probably argue that that's probably what we want his floor to be uh, in terms of ceiling, you know, Monte Ellis, Josh Richardson, obviously they're very, very different players, but you know, Kurtz has star potential. And I don't mean by like getting hyperbolic in the fact that, he could be an all-star, an all-NBA player. But what he does in terms of his all-round skill set, you know, the way that he's playing both ends of the floor and he's proving off this very, very small sample size, you know, I mean, it's hard not to overreact with how good he has been. And, you know, there's been 74% of the vote already that are getting for Rodion's court. So I have a feeling that I'm going to be doing a Rodion's court uh, thread following this game, Nick. Yeah, it sounds like it's probably going to be a popular thread for you all season long. <laughs> That's it. I mean, there's Rodion stands already. And uh, I'm loving it. Uh, I mean, the fact that another steal from Sean Marks and the draft, another little uh, tick on his resume going forward. So, and another benefit for, for the Nets because uh, we sort of talked about how many games that he would play and we sort of had the over-under at like 40, 50 or something like that. And uh, he's already at 18. I think he's going to be, um, barring any injury and knock on wood, he's not going to be, he's going to be playing plenty of games going forward. And it's going to be a big part of, of the Nets' success. Yeah, he's he's just been so impressive. Over his last seven games, five of his last seven games, he scored 11 points or more. 
So he's already consistently kind of scoring for this team. We see the aggression, the confidence, like you mentioned earlier, the cuts to the rim. Three-point shot is looking nice if he gets a little bit more consistency out there. It's just like how much more can he add to his game, too, with the Nets player development staff? It's just like there's so much room for improvement that it's really exciting considering he's only 20 years old, too. Yeah, he's a great archetype. He's a great yeah. archetype in terms of he's everything that you sort of want. He's athletic. He can. He's just really long. And, and I think him and Jared Allen could be a really formidable, you know, in five years' time, both of them will be around 25 years of age. It'll be very, very interesting to see where both of their careers are at. But I think that they're going to be, you know, very capable, uh, very above-average NBA players. They're already are knocking on that door already. But um, I think Rodion's has uh, in, in, innate potential. It, it's it's almost uh, hard to fathom. Yeah, because of his versatility too. You know, they've talked about on the broadcast, we talked about on the show, you know, at times almost playing at the two, at the three, at the four, just a lot of potential. Obviously, as he gets a little bit older, a little bit stronger, you know, Kenny's going to play him at some small ball five too. Yeah, that small ball five is going to be an interesting one because if you add in Karis LeVert, you add in Jared Allen, and if all those guys reach their defensive ceiling, you've got three really good defensive guys out on the floor. You had in Spencer Dimwitty, who is average, maybe a little bit below average, but has size about him. Uh, and obviously, he's tied up for a couple of years. So there's four decent, you know, defenders, uh, if not, you know, above average defenders. And I think for the Nets, you know, to sort of take that next step, it's going to be on the defensive end because we know how good our offensive schemes are. And we've seen that uh, reflected in our... Uh, relevant rating and our and our scoring and such, but I think defense is where we've got a, a ways to go, and I think Rodion's Rodion's gonna be a big part of that. Karras is gonna be a big part of that, and Jared Allen as well. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Jack. We've seen the offense go from in the top 10 to top 15. The defense, though, hasn't really got up into that top 15 range. I think they might have touched above top 20 once or twice, but that's where they really need to improve. And that's going to come a lot from the players. I think schematically, a lot of the things are okay. There could be some adjustments, but I think the players just need to step up that consistent energy and effort. And we've seen it a couple times, especially on the win streak, but just not enough. No, and I think that... That's what takes you from being an okay defensive team to being a good defensive team to being an above average to being an elite defensive team. And you know, you look to the different sort of teams that the Nets could sort of emulate. Uh, I think that the Pacers who we versed the other night uh, are a sort of team that has, uh, I think that they're a little more sizable, a little more aggressive, whereas I think the Nets are a little more athletic probably going forward. But I think that there's a lot of potential there. And I think that obviously there is still plenty of use uh, in this in this Nets defense, uh, this Nets core. So I think that that's going to be, you know, how we are going forward to have. Uh, and also you're going to have to have those, you know, vets around them sort of being able to teach what the sort of, you know, where the right spots are to be. And I think Jared Dudley has added something to that, as does a guy like Ed Davis and Damari Carroll. So I think as we grow as a defensive team, you know, by the end of the season, if we are 20th or above, I think that that's a win. Uh, and if we are, you know, 10 to 15 in offensive rating, then I think that we should be knocking on the door of the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. I think another area where they'll improve as they get older, build some more chemistry is communication. You know, sometimes on switches, you see them miscommunication, someone will get an open three, clean that stuff out, you're giving up a lot less open looks. So it's also knowing the scouting report of the opposite team as well. But Jack, any other topics you got for us? That's um, that's the main ones that I got, Nick. Uh, anything from you? I mean, it's been a it's been a fun fun year heading into the new year. Obviously, I'm going to be off, but uh, the buzz is still going to be continuing. Yes, we'll have a special guest for you on Wednesday. Jack will actually be coming over to the states, and hopefully, everything goes right. Jack and I'll be at Barclays Center. We'll definitely keep you updated. We'd love to meet some of you guys, interact with you about some Nets talk. I mean, it's been a, an absolute 
wondrous season for the Nets so far. And uh, I think the buzz has been growing and growing. And uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the case if it wasn't for all you guys listening and, and following and, and interacting with us. And I think that you guys are the keys to any sort of success that we've had and will continue to have. Yeah, honestly, we love all the interaction, all the questions, the comments. You know, we appreciate all the support, the reviews we've been getting on iTunes. It definitely helps boost us up. We can even do it a little bit more often. And obviously, we want to wish you guys a happy holidays. Enjoy the time with your family and friends. Happy holidays, all. And also, check out The Buzz, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.